The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, normally a remedial course in baseball stats, but for this very special episode, a podcast about the Apple TV Plus show, Ted Lasso. I'm your host, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined by Alexander Chase and Richmond Till We Die co-host, Christian Dashiel. We will be talking about barbecue, Kansas City, the Royals, the Ted Lasso pod, mental health and sports, and, of course, Ted Lasso himself. Lots to unpack in this one, so without further ado, here is our conversation. Hey, Christian, thank you so much for being here with us. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to this. Alexander, how are things in D.C.? Um, uh, no important weather to report. No important anything else to report. <laughs> uh, what other bases do I have to cover here? Yeah, no, we have to well. loop Christian in on that joke. We have to. So un- inadvertently, we wound up starting almost every one of our pods uh, for, I don't know, the first 20 episodes or so just talking about weather, even when we weren't trying to. So now it's become the running joke. How's the weather? In, you're in you're in, in uh, Kansas, right? Yeah, it switches every day. Like we're um, in the first week of December right now, and we're it's going to be like eighty degrees here in two days, <laughs> and then um, like twenty hours later, it's going to drop down into the forties. So it's always a wild ride here. Yeah, it's, it's actually sounds a lot like New England where I'm at. It's in uh, Texas, it's different every yeah. day. Yeah. Oh, we're not special. I always thought we were special. Yeah. I don't know about 80 to 40. I do have one picture from a couple of years ago where uh, I took like the, a picture of the temperature outside uh, in my car. It had like, you know, the thermometer and it said, I don't know, it said like 62 degrees. And then the next day it was the same picture and it was like snow covered everywhere. That was a, <laughs> that was a pretty interesting thing. Yeah. They say in New England, if you don't like the weather, just wait, wait a day. Um, but it's unseasonably warm um, around here. It's not like super hot, but anyway, I think we've met our, our weather quota for the episode. Um, so uh, what I want to do before we jump into anything, uh, we have uh, Christian here guesting um, from his podcast, which is called Richmond Till We Die uh, on Twitter at Ted Lasso Pod. Did I get all that right? Yeah, perfect. All right. Wow. That's uh, that's great. Uh, I'm glad I got that on the first try. Uh, and we are going to talk about a ton of stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about how that came together. We're going to talk about some of the interviews you've been able to talk to cast members and all that. But we have to start with maybe the most important thing uh, of all, which is um, your your barbecue preferences in the area, <laughs> your barbecue expertise. Uh, what makes different barbecue different in different places? I, I we have to we have to get this off the table right now, or else that's all I'm going to be thinking about the whole episode. <laughs> well, then I guess I'll try to describe it unappetizingly, then, so we don't <laughs> think about barbecue. <laughs> um, yeah. So just in terms of what makes different barbecue different, regionality. There are two things like one is the temperature that barbecue is cooked at in texas it tends to be cooked um, at a higher temperature whereas in some of the other places uh kansas city style or memphis style carolina style that southern style um they go what's called like low and slow and so you're talking like 325 degrees for the low side and then um in texas like you know they'll push up like oh, I don't know, up into the 400s and do it much faster. Then the other thing that can differentiate barbecue is um, just the the sauce, like the flavor profile. And so like Memphis style is known as being sweeter. Texas, they 
only use salt and pepper if you're a true Texan. Like that's all that you use in um, Kansas City. You'll have kind of a sweet vinegary sauce, and then in the Carolinas, there are a couple different sauces, but they're generally known for being much more vinegary or mustardy. Um, so, you know, it just kind of depends on, um, I guess both the, the medium that you're using and then <laughs> the process to differentiate your style. So I, um, as someone who lived in Texas for 20 years, um, there's really only one style of barbecue and that's Texas barbecue and everything else is, yeah. <laughs> I'm like 50% kidding, maybe at most. Um, yeah, dude, it's interesting for you to, uh, to hear Texas barbecue described that way because, uh, uh, just for like closure or like full disclosure, there's this publication in Texas, Texas Monthly, that every four years puts out their yeah. uh, 50 best barbecue places in the world list, and they're all in Texas, uh, naturally, and <laughs> came out a couple months ago. Um, and you know it's kind of a big deal though because like they talked about all the changes over the past few years, but um, Texas barbecue is the barbecue style they're importing into New York to like serve to places, and it's the thing that gets copied in a weird way whenever you want to do brisket and. Uh, I yeah. take so much exception to the idea that you would cook bar brisket anything like above about 250 degrees. Um, but I will <laughs> say that you're not wrong. There are a lot of people who are cooking way too fast in Texas. That does exist. That does exist. Yeah. Well, and I, it kind of just depends. And I, you know, one of the things about barbecue now is as it's become more popular, there's been just tons of crossover mm -hmm, for sure. and like fusion between the styles. Mm -hmm. And so you will have very few places that are like strictly a style um i cook my brisket and my beef ribs i like to go about 285 and that is um just kind of the temperature that like when aaron franklin talks about cooking his briskets that he cooks his at and so that tends to um work for me and not that i've been able to replicate his quality but um it's definitely like elevated my game trying to do what he says to do yeah. um and for those of you guys who aren't familiar with aaron franklin obviously this is the part of the crossover that we're really hoping for on this pod uh, his <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh franklin's barbecue in austin uh is a place where you can wait in line for a really long time for barbecue that's worth the wait uh i've only waited in that line once when i lived there but and for anyone who is in the texas anywhere which is a huge state but still worth your while um he has like a crossover project with some other people in town called loro it's like a barbecue yep. And then also like um, Japanese food combo. And it is just incredible. And also you can get Franklin's barbecue without the wait in the evening. And it is a great secret that if any of y'all are ever in Austin, I would strongly recommend. No free ads except this one, if you will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so Christian, what's your favorite place? What, what's your, your barbecue mecca? My first favorite um, not because it's the best place necessarily. It's just where I fell in love with barbecue is a little place called Roy's Barbecue outside of Hutchinson, Kansas. And I started going there when I was in college. And that was the first time, like I grew up on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first time like I had had real barbecue. And it's this like standalone yellow building on the outside of this small town. And you go in and like you're just saturated um, with smoke for the rest of the day. Like you have to take a shower after you leave there. Um, and then in Kansas city, like once we moved there, there are any number of places that I love and I can like list the best thing for you to order on the menu at like six different places. But the place that has been like seminal for our family is Gates barbecue. There was one of those, there are a number of different locations throughout the city and it's like a historical place. Like Ollie mm. Gates is one of the fathers of kansas city barbecue uh, but there was one in kansas city kansas that was by our house and so we went there a couple of times just on like really important days for our family and so that is sort of baked into just kind of i guess our ethos now as as a family so i want to ask a different question then it's like where do okay. you want to go to try the barbecue most oh austin for sure like i we have had conversations in my house about like Sometime we just need to dip down to Austin for like a weekend <laughs> and I have my list of places that like we'll go to and check it out. So just from a concentration standpoint, like you can hit so much and I've already done Memphis. Like I've spent time in Memphis and done six places there in a, a weekend. So yeah, Austin is another big one. I just haven't been to yet. I used to plan my vacations around where the craft beer was. So uh similar idea, similar idea. 
Um, well, yeah, we follow the meat. Yeah. <laughs> so we got the most important thing out of the way early, uh, and and yeah, talking about the meats. But I really do want to hear uh, how the uh, the podcast got off the ground. Um, if any of you have not checked this out, if you're a Ted Lasso fan uh, of the show, you are doing yourself an enormous disservice by not checking out this podcast. Again, it's at Ted Lasso Pod uh, on Twitter. Um, you can find it in all the places you download and listen to your favorite podcasts. And and the way that that y'all got kind of go through these episodes is is amazing. In that, like, it's very spoiler free and very intellectual and it reveals things uh, that I certainly didn't see the first time. And I get to go back and re-enjoy those episodes for having listened uh, to, to the way that, that you guys break that down. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, but I, I really want to know how this came together. Whose idea was it? Um, how to get off the ground, all, all of the, all the good stuff. Uh, what's the origin story? It was back in the very first days weeks of 2021 and we just weren't doing a ton like it was very winter covid mm-hmm. and my friend brett saw me tweet something about ted lasso and he just hit me up and he was like hey man do you want to do a ted lasso podcast and the thought had not even crossed my mind i did a parenting podcast um for like one season and uh had invited brett to be involved in that and mm-hmm. then it just didn't work out with his schedule so we had kind of had we'd worked together before and wanted to work together again and so i was like yeah man like i have nothing else to do so let's talk about a tv <laughs> show on the internet um and then we spent a couple months like kind of planning it out and trying to figure out what we wanted the show to look like and be and do and then we just kind of jumped in and um yeah, like had a fun time hanging with each other. Yeah, I mean, definitely you can tell that that you all get along and, and get each other, have really great chemistry in the way that you put things together. Um, and one of the things that, that you have managed to do, which uh, is, is really, really impressive and, and enjoyable to listen to, is not just that you go through each episode, but you've been able to have interviews with cast members um, who you, you've connected with in, in various ways. So uh, talk to us a little bit about some of those um, and then hit us up with your favorite, your favorite cast interview and, and let us know why that was your favorite. The cast has been fun. They're super interactive. Um, and I think that has to do with the show being a slow burn in terms of its popularity. Like now, if you follow media and TV, it's ubiquitous. Like mm-hmm. it's yeah. won all these Emmys and all these awards, but it really took a while for people to catch on to it. And so during those early months, the cast, I just think was like so grateful and probably maybe like a little relieved that this thing that they thought was good, everybody else was thinking was good. Uh, that they've been like super interactive on the internet and um, willing as much as they have time to, to, to do interviews and interact with fans, which is, is cool. So, you know, like we'll hit people up on Twitter and if they can do it, they can do it. There've been some folks um, we kind of have to like try to work through agents or publicists. It just sort of depends on the profile of the actor Mm -hmm. and, and what's going on and how big the show is getting for my favorite one. I've really, I really enjoyed the interviews that we did with two of the kids on the show, um, Elodie Blomfield, uh, who plays Phoebe, mm-hmm. and um, then Kiki May, and she plays Nora. And I think the reason behind that is um, for each of them, those were their, like, we did their first interviews. And as a parent, like, I really wanted to do it because I thought we could do it well. But I also wanted it to be um, a really positive experience for the kids and their parents. And I do like I think we landed that like I think when we finished and when those episodes are published, like the kids had fun and the parents were like, "Okay, I'm glad that we trusted these people to do it. And I think, um, you know, we're giving fans of the show insight that they didn't have otherwise. And I think that maybe um, in surprising people with those interviews, um, insights in an experience that like they maybe didn't even know that they wanted or could get so that part has been super fun alexander um what is what what's your favorite part of the show itself uh the ted lasso show so ted lasso is like very different than most of the other tv i consume and to be clear i consumed the first season really quickly and then the slow the second season really slowly which is kind of a strange thing but I tend to mostly watch TV about terrible people getting 
like what they deserve if that makes sense like <laughs> i think yep. the most important tv shows i've watched in the past year and change um i mean i i'm the sort of person who like gets just absolutely fired up to watch succession and just all the mess that is but i think like the most important tv show i've seen is um the good place like in the past couple of years like i watched that every year mm. because it came out and then like you know other things that kind of like sit in that sort of like instead of good things happening for good people bad things happening to bad people like that's my ideal ideal kind of media <laughs> i want to cheer for real people and hate fake people like that that's the energy i want to spend so like it's really weird to watch any part of Ted Lasso and want to cheer for any of the characters for me because it's a fictional thing. And as a result, as I watched it, I had this weird sort of dread that like something awful is going to happen. And without spoiling much about the show, the way that it kind of subverts the expectations you have about who you're cheering for, what you're cheering for, who is actually good and like what it means to improve or get worse as a person are kind of really great. Um, so if I can say one particular thing without spoiling a whole lot, um, there's... Warning, warning. No, no, really, actually, this doesn't spoil much at all. <laughs> I, I promise, I promise, I promise. Uh, so um, someone has a cameo in the second season uh, who I recognized as like a comedic actor who was playing a very like profound, like important role and then, like, they have this great, like, switch flip towards the end um, that really, really satisfied me as, as, a, as a viewer. And I, I thought it was a sort of, like, great sort of, like, I feel like I know it's coming, but I know that I trust people who write this enough to, like, make me think about it. And, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I feel like feeling good while you're watching TV is kind of weird for me. And, and it, it's done a good job of making me feel good more often than I normally do. So, yeah. Uh, you're, and you're definitely right. It was a, a slow burn to its popularity. I actually remember being so into it and um, not a lot of other people had really watched it or maybe even heard of it. And I, I really wanted to like respond on Twitter to people with Ted Lasso gifts and, and they weren't anywhere to be found. And, and like you said, now they're they're everywhere. People using them all the time. So um, I, I, one of the things I really love about this show, um, and then we're actually going to switch gears a little bit, and then we're going to circle all the way back to to the actual episodes. Um, I, I I'm a seventh grade teacher in my day job, uh, and so one of the things that I and, I and I teach social studies, one of the things I talk to my kids about all the time, I was doing it today, is is that um, a lot of the media that we consume, we have superheroes and supervillains. To one degree or another, whether it's MCU or or whether it's uh you know e even something like a a Sopranos where you know he's a bad guy but he's the good guy in this in this show right the antihero it it's you know who you're rooting for you know good people do good things and bad people do bad things and and you know it's pretty easy and when you look at your own life through that lens it can make you feel all sorts of ways um, and when I'm trying to teach you know 12 and 13 year olds about the world. One of the things that is is hard sometimes, I think, for them to grasp and understand is, is the complexity of humanity and that bad people can do and are capable of doing good, uh, whatever the motivations, and good people are, are capable of making mistakes and, and doing bad things. And um, I think this show is really excellent as it plays out at showing that, that complexity uh, of um, people who in another show would just be the heel and that's all they would be and uh and the hero and and showing that there are there are different sides to that um i don't know i, I it's one of the things that I, I really enjoy very much about the show uh and we are going to get back to talking more about actual ted lasso but i got one more thing i want to talk to you about christian before <laughs> we take a small break and then circle back to really diving into some of the uh the content and that is that you were a kansas city royals season ticket holder and i want to know more about that yeah, it was fun, even though they were during years that the Royals were really bad. Like it was probably, <laughs> I don't know, like 2008 through 2011. And so, you know, the for the most part, like the stadium wasn't very full and the Royals didn't win a lot of games. But there's something about baseball that is um, conducive to a social experience where you like connect with other people through conversation while the game is going on that you can't have really well when you go to watch other sports. Um, and so, you know, we had a lot of fun memories of um, going to afternoon games and like our um, oldest son, 
he's in sixth grade now, but like he went to his first Royals game when he was 18 days old because <laughs> we had tickets and like, we we're like kind of getting cabin fever or whatever. Cause we would had just been in the house and yep. we knew that we could go for six innings if we wanted and then leave. And so just have a lot of memories um, in that park and of players. And then it was obviously fun for, you know, four years when, when they were really good and um, really good in surprising ways and Mm -hmm. kind of like became America's team um, for the time when they were kind of upsetting people, I guess, um, and being the little engine that could. Alexander, what are your memories of, of the Kansas city Royals from that time? So um, as, as, as a youth or whatever, um, I feel like, the Royals World Series runs um, were some of the ones that I got to like enjoy with people in a much more public way than like any of the other ones. That was like when I was like living in the dorms in college. Um, is like <laughs> watching um, the Royals win, uh, which is really cool actually. Um, you know, because when else do you get to like just yell at everyone else for being like I don't know <laughs> like Red Sox fans? I guess right. Yeah. Right. Hey, 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 hey now. Hey, hey. I know exactly what I'm doing. Um. So, like, I have some fun <laughs> memories there. It's been nice in the years since, um, you know, new owner John Sherman is definitely a person, like, I kind of trust more than about 25, at least, of the other owners to, like, try to do a good job. Just kind of nice. Uh, so, you yeah. know, it's been fun to kind of casually root for the Royals to be above average. Uh, and, you know, it's not like Kansas City is a place where you can't win, like, sports things. Like chiefs are good at football draw a bajillion people um do you know how much money gets pumped into kansas basketball every year like there's no reason why you can't try to be good at baseball in kansas city it's a pretty big city uh so yeah i'm i'm really hoping that you know as things shake out with the new cba there are some interesting uh, and read. I really hope they happen. Suggestions about uh, shrinking down to just four divisions, you know, uh, two and two, which would mean that the Royals would no longer be competing with, you know, the AL Central's lack of spending. We have to try probably a little bit harder than they currently are, but they've been tracking towards trying for trying's sake. And you know, if there is uh, one fandom that I'm happy that we can have two consecutive Royals fans, I guess, in fact, fact weeks. <laughs> That's definitely one of the teams I'm happy to have it. So yeah, good for y'all. That is that is absolutely a thing <laughs> I have no uh, problem for. And um, I mean, like, it's fun to root against the Red Sox, not just because you know Matt, but, you know, because that's how things it's work. Fine. I can handle it. But yeah, that, that, that's the other thing. It's, well, here's, you know, it, it's only people who can't handle it because there's just like nothing redeemable that makes it unfun. <laughs> <laughs> kind of an intersection between what we were talking about earlier with Ted Lasso and character arc is like the the word for you know people changing and they're not being good guys and bad guys like that happened with the royals you know their owner um essentially like bought the team from a beloved owner who passed away on the cheap and there are serious questions as to whether or not he wanted to win for a very long time Mm -hmm. like you know he was just gonna kind of milk it for what it was worth and then let it go and then there did come a point where a switch flipped for him. And when they started trying and spending some more money and, and being strategic, and they did have to find ways to smartly spend more money in ways that other teams weren't, but then winning did become important to him. And when he sold the team to John Sherman, you know, he, uh, David Glass had cancer and kind of knew that he was in, you know, his last days, years. And just in terms of building legacy and doing right by the city, he approached John Sherman saying, like, I know that you love this city. Like, you are a Kansas Cityan. You are a proven businessman. I want you to buy this team. And I know that you love baseball because John Sherman was part of the um, Cleveland Indians ownership group at that time. And so going from being someone, um, an owner that fans protested and hated and felt like you know they were really um their experience was getting cheated and that he didn't even care about kansas city for him to then deliver those memories and a championship and then to really hand the team off in an intentional way to someone who would do well by the city is an incredible arc that someday like there should probably be a movie about 
Well, I was going to ask you one more question, but I think that that's a pretty a pretty sweet way to end that segment. Um, and I know that we are all very excited to get into talking about like the life lessons of Ted Lasso and how that is universally applicable to all sports, including baseball. Uh, but before we get to that, we are going to take a small break and we will be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we're back. Uh, so now is the opportunity, Christian, where we can really start to dive into uh, sort of those lessons, those takeaways. Um, it, it seems as though something that's very important to the three of you, um, uh, your uh, on on your pod, is is kind of talking about mental health in general, and and um, you know how people kind of see themselves and the lessons for. Um, uh, for men and white men to kind of take from the show about maybe better ways uh, of being um, and, and all of these things that are working in a show at a time where people are incredibly divided and uh, constantly fighting and there's a lot of toxicity and, and the lessons that this provides for us. Um, so I, I guess we could start with something pretty broad and, and just say like, what what do you think are are the broad strokes of this show? We've touched on a couple of them, but if you had to like attach a theme to this show, what would you maybe say that is? It's a show about vulnerability. It continues to ask the question of who are you going to let in and who are you going to take a risk to love? And there are times where that plays out in sporting terms, you know, Mm -hmm. how bad it hurts when your team gets close and doesn't win and just how people can um, live and breathe with that community uh, experience, right. Of rooting for a team together, but then also in relationships. And so you said earlier that there are a lot of subversive things that happen in Ted Lasso. And some of those subversive things are, you know, like men being vulnerable with each other mm-hmm. um, or subverting, you know, the masculine and, and feminine characteristics that we expect in romantic relationships. And so it just like through these first two seasons, that is the question that it continues to ask is what does it mean for us? I guess to like risk things with each other, maybe like to be brave enough to do that and to trust each other enough and to be trustworthy enough um, where we can be risky with each other in healthy growth oriented ways. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to that point, uh, I'm going to ask you, and again, we're going to try and stay spoiler free here. I know that's something that you try really hard on, on your podcast to do, which is actually very impressive for a podcast dedicated entirely <laughs> to a show to not be, uh, filled with spoilers is remarkable. Um, what would you say if you were to take the character of just Ted, the the main the main character in the show, uh, his best qualities and his worst qualities, and why? Uh, because I have a feeling, and listen, I'm not trying to paint you in a corner here. You can answer this however you want, uh, but I have a feeling that maybe some of what we're we're looking at is worst qualities. Um, there's a there's some layers to that. So, uh, what do you think are are his his best and worst qualities, and why? The best quality is not quitting on people. He does have a deep sense of belief in people's capacity to change and to improve. Um, And yeah, he's just very, I guess, hopeful in people and trying to see the best in them. Um, And that is something that, you know, in this world that we are living in right now, that is just really difficult to do and that we need a lot more of. Mm -hmm. The thing about Ted's worst qualities is in season two, 
we start to learn why people are the way they are. Right. Um, I guess that maybe starts in, you know, the last couple episodes of season one with some characters that are like just act in unconscionable ways. And then you kind of like start to get some pieces together and that doesn't, you know, excuse their behavior, but it at least helps you see where they're coming from, like what their hurts are, what their brokenness is, the roots of their dysfunction. And so, you know, for Ted, um, we do see him in his rosiness, um, sometimes like sacrificing things that could be good for other people because he's so focused on personal development. It's like, you know, you still have a job and right, there are still right. people that you are accountable to um, on a sporting level. And, and he doesn't always do the best by them in some situations because he's trying to develop people. And there are, um, I guess just times, especially in the second season where then he even loses himself a bit and there are reasons, but if he would, his journey of like opening up and being vulnerable and trusting and doing all of those things, you just kind of start to see that he has some work to do there. And so for him to be the best version of himself, he's going to need to do some of the things that he is trying to get other people to do. So one of the things I feel is like kind of interested in, in ugh, those are words, words, I, things that I think are kind of interesting <laughs> about like watching and thinking about how people change in Ted Lasso and a lot of other TV because I don't think you can watch TV these days without watching everything else, right? You watch Ted Lasso with all the expectations that all the other shows you've watched over the past 10 years put on you. It is how kind of free almost everybody on the cast is from like the way that like working and money like distorts your mind and destroys your mind. Um cuz like it's really easy to imagine it's like like I know how much money a team loses because they get um (laughs) less good results in the premier league let me put it that way um and to think then that like someone who is an owner and has just unfathomable amounts of money would just willingly leave money on the table is not something that characters in a lot of shows would would like let happen to them the idea that players would lose money that any of these people would make choices that would sacrifice their own bottom line it's not something a lot of shows explore and i don't think that Ted Lasso largely explores, though. I'm very interested to see how uh, Rebecca's husband kind of fares in the long run because he definitely seems like the person they're writing to kind of do those sorts of things. So, like, I feel like a lot of other money or a lot of other shows tread that ground in some really well trodden ways. And I don't know, do, do you find it refreshing to find that that's not a topic of conversation as often as it could be? Yeah, one of the segments that we have on our show is, um, you know, like, what was the the like most real life soccer thing in this episode and what was like the least real life soccer thing because there's so many people that watch the show that aren't soccer fans um and there are a number of times where it kind of comes back to like this decision would not be made because it just like doesn't make financial sense and people in this world don't do that and so as a show we try to acknowledge those things and we do try to point them out and like we try not to be the super like condescending (laughs) soccer fans um to to people um but we do just try to like at least acknowledge it and say yeah this this isn't how it would go we understand why and now like we're gonna move on so yes you're right the money thing often doesn't ring true to life and allows the characters to do things they otherwise wouldn't do in the real world do you think that some of that is um like you said there's non-soccer fans watching and so they really want to just show like this this is really driven by a a a desire for vengeance and i'm at all costs so it might not be soccer realistic but it's it's necessary as a device for helping non-soccer people understand like the depths of the, the the feeling that is going on uh or is it just maybe an oversight no, I think it's intentional. Um, with storytelling, you have to make sacrifices. And this is not a sports show. This is a show that uses right. sports as a vehicle to talk about life and about people. And I don't, there's just not a lot about this show, I think, that is happenstance. Like so yeah. much of it is intentional. And, you know, while that piece often doesn't 
ring real. I think they also deserve a lot of credit for the attention to detail that they pay yeah, to soccer absolutely. stuff. And as a soccer fan, there are a lot of times where I'm like, man, that's really good. Like that, <laughs> that really is impressive that they were able to do that or that really does ring true. Yeah. Watching Coach Beard read uh, Inverting the Pyramid um, episode in an episode <laughs> out is really accurate because that's on my wish list actually for Christmas if someone in particular is listening to this. Um, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I find that a lot of like the idea of cheering for the owner of a sports team is so antithetical to a lot of the things that i end up talking about <laughs> so often and it's 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 kind of funny here i was like what like not even 15 minutes ago talking about how i'm soft rooting for the royals because their owner is less bad um but you know it, the realities <laughs> of it is that, like a lot of sports programming we consume it kind of exists on the sort of like kid level where you're no like where like your protagonists are, are kids in some sort of way and they can be detached from these realities you know so mm-hmm. much children's content do- makes the smart choice to suspend disbelief to let people make character choices rather than be like nope they would just go to jail or the bad guys would just be competent and they would stop you because you weigh 80 pounds um and and i think there's a lot of that actually that like you know if you compare ted lasso to so much of like the kind of nostalgic sports content it knows what world it's existing in when it ignores those realities or lets them play in some different ways. I like it because I can just go consume all of the bad guys evil show on HBO after the fact later on. And I think that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of hard at the other time to think like so many of the things that like contribute to what we actually talk about as mental health for like people who don't make soccer player salaries do come from like not having money. And having to work an obscene amount of hours and stuff like that. So it's interesting to kind of like be really critical and like put on my my being upset cap and then just thankfully take it right off because like I'm a human person who can just like not for a second and like enjoy things <laughs> because you know there, there are lots of discussions that can be had about all sorts of different con- t- content right and we don't all need to collapse into each other ted lasso can work differently than white lotus and I can enjoy that and learn things from it and, like, think about how much being a Tottenham Hotspur fan hurts me instead of how much, you know, my job hurts me. <laughs> and it is, I mean, it's honest about what it is. Yeah. The premise of the show is that a division to, like, college football coach at a school that doesn't have football in Wichita goes and coaches a Premier League team. Like, from the jump, there's a giant clue there that, like, we are not, this is not a documentary. Right, <laughs> We right, are going right. to have to really like suspend some things. And I guess probably part of the credit of the show is there are aspects of the sport, the sporting um, world that it exists in that are so convincing that sometimes we forget from the start, the whole thing's like preposterous. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's a, that's a good word. Uh, I'll show you what I know about soccer. Uh, when, I, when he's reading uh, Inverting the Pyramid, I thought that that was... Uh, more symbolic of like see Ted putting himself at the bottom and everybody else in in front of him and trying to lead from behind and and all of those things and and then Alexander was just like no no that's a real thing and it's a book and it's this and that and so there you go but the fact that I can be so sucked into a show and that's that I have very little knowledge of soccer I think is a credit to as you said before it's not a show about soccer it's a show about people and relationships. It actually reminds me in that way, um, and it's a very different show, but there's a, a through line with uh, Bill Lawrence and, and Scrubs in that um, a lot of people who work in hospitals have actually said it's one of the more accurate shows for the medicine, but it's not a show about doctors. It's a show about relationships and um, how people connect and disconnect and, and love and hate and, and are frustrated and, um, you know, craving attention from a father figure and, and, you know, all of those, those really life lesson things that could have been said anywhere. Um, so, uh, I, I think that that's, um, it really does speak to the character and the heart of the show that somebody like me who had, had no idea what that book was all about, um, or the the relevance of it and the idea of like Beard reading it on the plane while Ted is is gonna you know sleep it off, um, take a nap. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it, it I mean it's there's just so many levels there. I, I think that you can appreciate this show in so many ways, and and if you don't happen to know. What you need to know to appreciate it on on one level, you can get it on six others. It's it's just so well well put together. 
it's what makes it a great show to like do a podcast about because there's always something that is fun for us as hosts to learn um, when we have questions and we like make a note of something and then you know there's always something for us to like bring to the table to hopefully I don't know just like be a tool to help people enjoy the show I guess on a different level or a little bit more however like you want to say it um, but just I guess to maybe make the next time they watch it a different experience from the last time they watched it so I have like a a two on topic question for myself and I'm okay with how this is going to play out. How, how much like premier league soccer did, do you watch regularly? All of it is all of it. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, which team do you, do you watch most often slash call your own slash get angry at the most? All the same question, really. Norwich. Norwich. Yeah. That, Norwich. Canaries. That is a really yeah. good answer. I want a Norwich kid. Actually they're, they're, they're green and yellow is beautiful. Um, yeah. Canaries. Yeah, um, so like I feel like then if if you're in that position like the sort of like rebounding back and forth for um everything has to be really interesting like how how do you kind of like compare that to like how you have experienced like sports fandom for like American sports where like the whole promotion relegation and like everything else is so much different Yeah you know being a Royals fan is similar I guess to being a Norwich fan you don't go up and down between leagues in well any american sport i guess but in baseball but there are times where you feel like you are part of the bigger competition and there are times where you don't because in Mm -hmm. baseball you can have developmental times where you're paying a little bit more attention to the minor leagues and and because you just like don't have a chance at the the playoffs or whatever um so i guess that is similar you know to me the thing that soccer is most like on the international stage is really college football in the u.s like to me that is the closest analog just in terms of the way people find identity in it Mm -hmm. and so you can actually in a lot of ways like kind of be okay with where you're at and who you are um and so you know you see that with like division two schools and division three schools and even sometimes like in um smaller conferences that may not have teams that can compete for the national championship. Like I think they want to, and they dream about it. And maybe there's going to be this fairy tale, like in the English premier league, Leicester city was um, a couple of years ago, but there are also like great things in qualifying for like the best bowl game you can and doing well there and maybe like upsetting somebody. So, you know, um, to me like that is one of the reasons that I love soccer is not, like the competition is cool, but then also knowing that there is something beneath that that's full of meaning that doesn't exist in most other sports is also part of like why I just enjoy being part of that world. When I was uh, uh, 16, I, I went to Germany uh, to stay with a student who had stayed with me and we did a little, you know, back and forth. And, and one of the things that that we did was go to a soccer match and um, as a sports fan, my whole life, I was very ill prepared for what that <laughs> meant. Uh, and you know, I, I know that the German league and, and premier league are different. That's, that's big for me. Um, but, uh, the, the intensity, uh, as we were walking through, uh, we were in, in Hamburg and we were watching them play Bayern Munich. And, um, as we were walking through, you know, the, the, the kids said like, just don't make eye contact if you can help it because you don't want to make eye contact with the wrong person. And uh, that's not to, to say soccer fans are, are bad people, but I think it does speak to the intensity of the fandoms to the point where, where um, people care so intensely about their teams. And, and it is such a part of who they are that, um, you know, you get that sort of stuff. And um, it, it was, it was one of the greatest experiences that I've had um, and nothing like it here. I, I, I mean, I've been to Red Sox Yankees games and um, you know, I was outside of Fenway park for a world series game in 2004. And those are intense moments, but I, I don't know. I, I still don't think I've experienced anything like, like that game in 1996. And there's upsides and downsides. The upside, like the best case scenario with soccer is that, you have a team um, like Norwich, really, where people have this uh, just really like intense belief and pride in their community in overall, like a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, 
what you don't get in a lot of American sports. Like you don't go to a baseball game and think, oh man, like, you know, I might encounter a lot more Nazis here than I usually do. And like, you know, like white supremacy and racism, like there are things in the soccer world, like some pretty toxic um, supporter cultures and some like not all, and it's not going to be everybody in the stadium, but um, there's some, there's some darkness there that also comes out with the intensity. It's not all. There's a movie uh, called Green Street Hooligans that was, it was actually, I think, Again, from a non-soccer point of view, it brought me in, sucked me in. I thought it was kind of a a, a deep dive into some of that subculture. Uh, very interesting movie if if you uh, if you've seen that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a kind of a, a seminal movie for um, folks that are in that world. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like I often say that like uh, sports is kind of like reality, a funhouse mirror, and soccer is way more that way than baseball is because there's just so much more variety but also i i think in part because like the way that we've seen sort of like shifting sands in the soccer world uh over the past decade two decades has been so much more pronounced than in baseball where like things have actually settled in some very weird ways you know it's like um it, it's weird that we've been so complacent with like you know like i imagine like hamburg fans would be willing to set uh chase field on fire uh, if uh, if the team did anything <laughs> resembling to what the Diamondbacks has done recently, like the sort of like let's all just do like the profit maximizing fan less good sorts of things that like you, know, you just gotta call it for what it is. Like teams are willing to tank and then just not be good on the other side of tanking and then just tank again and in some really awful ways in baseball, which are just completely completely unforgivable sins that will have. I I, I would. I, I say that Chase Field would be burned down really confidently because I don't think that anything in, anywhere close to that is within the pale. Um, the sort of things we've seen recently with like a European Sober League getting shut down almost immediately by fans, you know, and, and the difference is really important. You know, it's like a lot of clubs, you brought up Germany, like the Bundesliga has a rule which like two clubs are broken kind of loosely about like fans owning more than half the team. And, yep. you know, throughout the rest of, you know, Europe, there are a lot of teams that are owned actually by American owners, uh, the, the club I support, Tottenham Hotspur, the club that, by the way, uh, Ted Lasso uh, sort of, kind of, but doesn't, but does coach in like this original sketch came out seven years ago. Um, <laughs> Version 1.0. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is owned by an American Joe Lewis. Uh, and um, the thing is, like, there are supporter trusts. And, and I think the reason that a lot of Americans, I think, do gravitate to soccer, the reason that I gravitated to soccer is just because... There is that passion. I kind of got the ick for college football because of concussions and because, like, my fellow college classmates weren't being paid while, like, super, super rich coaches got huge buyouts to get fired, basically. It's really, really awful in this sort of, like, as soon as you put the magnifying glass to it, it just melts. And, um, and And that's the appeal, is that you do feel like there's something so much more, like, egalitarian about fandom um and as we sit here in this lockout which is brought on by ownership not wanting to pay the players more in a lot of different ways (laughs) and you can't escape it you know so you know there's a lot to watch uh both ted lasso and everything else and i I do hope that you know people give it a shot because you know I, i think like i watch sports for different reasons like I, I watch baseball because I think it's a compelling game in some ways, but I watch soccer much more for the human aspects. And it's, it's interesting to kind of see how this crossover and like why we choose to watch yeah. what we watch. Yeah. Now, Christian, you um, are a man of many talents. As we talked about with barbecue before you have some, some training that comes up on the show and you take some perspectives. You guys talk a lot about Shakespeare, which goes over my head cause I never understood it. Um, but one of the things that you you talk about a lot is kind of this extra character that's not a character but is intensely purposeful, and that is the music that exists within the the, the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us a little bit about the role that music plays, and if you can think off the top of your head of any of ex- examples, this is something that can be fairly spoiler free, pretty easy. So feel free to uh, to talk about anything that really sticks in your mind about the use of music. In the interest of full disclosure. Brett and Marissa are music people. I am a decidedly like third chair. Um, They are professional musicians and um, have like, actually like they have degrees in music. So I bring some things to the table, but um, they bring most of them. And I just like the one thing I brought to the table is Brett 
um, did not know that Sweet Georgia Brown was the theme song for the Globetrotters. And I was very uh, <laughs> impressed with myself that I knew a music thing he didn't. Yep. But to answer your question, you have two roles that music plays or two types of music, I guess. One is the scoring. So that's like the original music that is composed um, by Marcus Mumford and, and Tom Howe. And one of the cool things about that is they pay so much detail to the show, so much attention to detail that there's some characters that actually have their own themes. And so as a Star Wars fan, this is something Mm -hmm. I started to notice like earlier on in life than most kids that like, oh, Luke and Leia have a theme. When something is happening with them, you are going to hear some version of this sound. Obviously, like the Darth Vader one is the most famous and obvious and just kind of like smacks you in the face. but. There are a lot of others. And so they do have themes in Ted Lasso for different characters if those characters are experiencing something. And then the other type of music is like what they bring in for the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty diverse. Like there's Jason Sudeikis is a big 90s hip hop fan. So you get some of those references and we've gotten some Rolling Stones. The thing about being an Apple show is they have so much money like they can pay for the rights for anything mm-hmm. um so they have access to a lot of things other shows don't have which gives them a lot of opportunities to make statements with the music and embed things that other shows can't now, are, we're not spoiling anything about tv and i avoided talking about some other tv shows are we allowed to spoil star wars <laughs> i think that, um, that's safe i think so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i think the shelf life is up <laughs> yeah because we're gonna talk about leitmotif you know and all that good stuff uh you know it, it's crazy how much you can if you really want to be crazy about that dig into what those themes and how they're written say things about characters and i haven't thought about that for a single tv show other than like avatar the last airbender in my life so right. I, I feel like i owe y'all some more and I, i've dug into a, a good amount of the first season because I, I really want to know what y'all felt about nate because you know mm. he's can i can i say that he's being turned into jose Mourinho? is that allowed can i say that on here you can, it's, it's okay. your show well, you can do whatever that. you want <laughs> well, yes and he shows it very early let me say it that way like the in the first season they are turning him to jose Mourinho very quickly uh and uh, i want to know if there is uh, anything in his in his potential leitmotif that it spoils that in the same way that uh the ray leitmotif in star wars spoils that she is a palpatine which it does actually it's just really weird and i, I don't know how the way they give it yeah away. i don't know like i guess it's always tough when you get part way through a story to know like that stuff is easier when you look back on it mm-hmm. like for me with the ray stuff you know i was rooting for her to be a kenobi and i thought that people had made some pretty compelling arguments that like she could be headed that way and i thought that would have been really cool so you know the one thing i hold to with ted lasso is that it is a it is really focused on people changing and for most of the characters we encountered them at like their bottom or least desirable and then got to experience like the fuzzies of their warm swing or their upswing. And so, um, you know, like the story's not over yet for me and there could very well be like an upswing for him. And I don't know, maybe not, but like even (laughs) Darth Vader threw Palpatine down a shaft. So like he could still do some things. (laughs) I mean, I think we have to be fair to Nate. It's been it's been a come up for him. It, it it's his uh, it's his uh, hero origin story. Uh, we just may not be it is, that, seeing it that way all the time. The Nate thing is is interesting to me, and I try not to be too judgy about people, but to people, but I'm like, man, like y'all need to chill out. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, they I think they did try to leave some like breadcrumbs and they tried to build some empathy for him along the way in season two not to excuse his behavior but to at least help you understand how he got there and um i think there are a lot of folks that maybe aren't leaving enough room for forgiveness to grow in season three and maybe like they'll get there but well, we're really look, I'm looking for bad. some more yeah. bottom to bottom out into personally for everyone, actually. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's like where I have to go mask off on this is like I am actively cheering for at least one or two people on average to bottom out harder in this third season because I just think they always need out the stakes in every season of every show. And 
the way that they treat that in Ted Lasso is, I think, way more interesting than it has been for any other show I've watched. So I want to watch them write it. I want to watch that cast make it happen. <laughs> and I want to watch people like you and myself and whoever else freak out about it because it's been fun. Uh, fundamentally, it, it's so much mm-hmm. different for me than watching just like a pure hate watch. You know, like I watch a lot of like Real Housewives. Um, I watch a lot of reality TV <laughs> and I watch a lot of just like HBO. These are terrible people shows. And it's so much ref- more fun sometimes to be wrong and have to cheer. For they someone. have. They have the same decisions to make that needed to be made and negotiated after empire strikes back like there are early versions of that script where han solo dies in return of the jedi Mm -hmm. and george lucas chose not to go that way he chose to go a different way in that that bothered harrison ford didn't it Uh, it bothered harrison ford like urban kirshner like left the project um and a lot of people like attribute his fingerprints to making empire strikes back like one of the best movies ever and people look at you know what return of the jedi ended up being and saying like that's because irv left you know so Mm. there's there are decisions to be made like what direction do you want to go with that and when when the thing is landed if we really do like land it after three seasons um i don't know i guess like what are you trying to do are you trying to give people like a realistic full experience are you trying to give people uplift after a really difficult second season and i don't there's a lot on the table there that I don't, I'm not sure. privy to any well, of those conversations. It's, it's hard to have every single person in a situation land on their feet and, and handle things with grace and dignity. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things I do like about it and, um, I, and report beating up on poor Nate here, uh, but, um, his story arc is still consistent with the show and the themes of the show. Um, his reactions may not be what we want and he might not be at, at that last moment um, at the end of, of the second season, you know, a, a lot of people just kind of, ah, right in their heads, but um, it's very consistent and, and they lay it out very well in season two, like the, the, the place that all of that is coming from. Um, and, you know, the, the father figure is, is omnipresent in this show um, in, in lots of ways. And, uh, I think that's a very relatable and, and, you know, look, you, you can look around to a lot of different grown men and you can trace a, a lot of, of good and bad back to their relationships with their dads. And so, um, is it an excuse? Absolutely not. But it, it does, as you said, kind of, it works by way of explanation. Um, and there's room for compassion in there because, you know, when a character is on a show, it's funny we're talking about characters like they're real people, but we're we're seeing every element of them, right? Um, the, uh, the nobody's following us around with a camera to show our worst moments or our worst decisions or or our meltdowns or our breakdowns or uh, and, and if they did, I think we would all come off looking much worse than than we are as people. So um, I, I think you're right in that there's a lot of space and room, and and I hope that they explore that in a meaningful way, even even if it's not you know, a, a, a Disney ending, you know, um, I don't think it needs to be for it to still be meaningful. One of the things that we said between seasons was, you know, <laughs> everything wrapped up relationship wise, pretty dang tidy after season one, mm-hmm. that either they were going to have to introduce a diabolical character to hurt people. And it was going to be hard to see how you could do that. And after we had gotten to like know this core group of people and have it be convincing or a character that we had grown to love was going to have to hurt another character that we had grown to love. Right. And that is the choice that they made. And like that hurt a lot of fans. And but it was convincing. Like, sure. People are really people wouldn't be up in arms if they weren't sucked in and attached and and, and kind of in love with the show. Right. It wouldn't. Nobody would care. Um, Yep. All right, I want to go to one last segment uh, before we come to the end of our episode, which seems like this has flown by, um, and that is stealing the segment you mentioned earlier from your show uh, and, and recreating it here and talking a little bit more uh, about what you think are the most realistic and least realistic soccer things that have happened across the show. 
Um, I know, again, we're trying to be as spoiler-free as possible. Uh, we did talk a little bit about you know owners just being willing to take huge financial losses being pretty unrealistic. Uh, but you did hint at some things that were pretty realistic. So uh, you know, just a few of those, and, and we'll give Alexander an opportunity to, to, to talk. And that way, if, if he spoils something, it's on him and not on you. um i was really impressed i'm always impressed with how real and fleshed out the crowds feel and part of that is um it's amazing there's they've um done quite a bit of cgi to fill out those crowds and even as somebody who watches a lot of soccer as i've gone through and watched season two now um like two and three times really trying to find the places where I can tell it's CGI and I can't. So they did just a really wonderful, lovely job of capturing that um, as best they could. And I love the depth that that gives the few soccer parts of the show that we have. Um, It's really fun for me as a soccer fan. Alexander, how do you feel about the, the soccerness of the soccer show? So, um, I really want to give like some more specific like Tottenham related bits here because it's really important <laughs> actually to like the show's DNA is kind of like that Tottenham connection. Uh, so Brett Goldstein, who is uh, Roy Kent, um, his family are Tottenham fans, um, and uh, they've talked a little about. I know he wrote an episode in season two where Tottenham plays an important part, and I want to say the the realism brought in by his familial experiences are so accurate them bottling a game and losing when it matters is just so authentic and it really made me feel like it was um the unrealistic part here is where he uh he makes who is the former arsenal player that he forces to like have a line where he says tottenham is a top team i Thierry Henry. Yes, he makes Thierry Henry compliment <laughs> Tottenham. And I don't, honestly, that's right. It's the fact that I found that like out of place that makes this show's topic worth exploring. Like, you know, it's the sort of thing where, you know, we can imagine, you know, like, I don't know, you get David Ortiz or, you know, I don't know, any other number of like Red Sox legends to go up and say like, nice things about the Yankees on the broadcast. And it's like, it happens actually a little bit more often than you'd think. Um, whereas like, it's like really unexpected when some of like the English pundits who are really set in their ways or even mildly complimentary to someone on the opposition side. Uh, it's really funny actually. Uh, so yeah, I mean like we take for granted so much of like our commentary and like consumption is being like mildly, I don't know, like, unbiased i mean like obviously most people are but they're just not very good at it whereas like it's the commitment to the bit on like the british soccer coverage of just being like nope i will never say a nice thing about liverpool ever and um you know <laughs> Thierry on me saying nice things about tottenham it could never happen without him being paid there is something very comforting in real soccer about the voices that oh, they arlo use white, um, yeah. like having jeff stelling and arlo white like you know it is really cool that they have brought in those broadcasters and as someone who watches a lot of soccer like just helps it feel very real and it's fun that arlo white has embraced the show to the point where he even like slipped in a ted lasso reference during the crystal palace everton match um this weekend and he's kind of like embraced it and feeds it and gives winks and nods all the time to the to the fans i mean i think the thing that the show can rely on which is really nice is the fact that the people who are involved with broadcasting and promoting the game other than like actual fifa and uefa love it and want it to be successful um (laughs) and um all shade intended um like the people who broadcast the people who like promote it online are all kind of aligned in that like people are exciting the sport's fun to watch it is a fantastic thing to be a fan of whereas uh there's not consistently that same thing in baseball and it's really important i think for people who are like in matt and i's position who talk about it all the time to like call out the nonsense where people are saying things that are dumb you know it's like nobody's you know (laughs) saying that brighton or like uh brentford like capitalizing on set pieces is a bad thing like nobody's doing that <laughs> everyone's just like yeah it's really fun that people who are winning and are winning and, that, and that's it and uh, I, I wish we could steal more of that so that's actually um another bit of realism that i want to say is that uh you know the positivity in the show towards the sport itself is really refreshing so if that's a place i can end on um tottenham 
uh, until they kill me, as they say. Not rich until I die. Tottenham until they, <laughs> until they kill me. Um, <laughs> oh boy. All right, Christian. That's uh, it. Really does bring us to the end. I, I just want to give you the opportunity to, if there's anything that you kind of have bouncing around in your head, left unsaid, to to go ahead and say it. No, I've said it all. Yeah. <laughs> just right. I, I do encourage people. I encourage people to go and if you haven't watched the show, uh, give it a run and just see what you think. And I think um, it can kind of take a few episodes to get your footing. But the nice thing is with the, at least in the first season, a show that, you know, caps out at between 25 and 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, You don't have to have a huge investment of time to feel as though whether or not like you're into what's going on. Absolutely. Um, before we let you go, could you just remind, uh, people who are listening where they can find you and your pod and, and your, your co-hosts and all of that? Yeah, we are at, uh, www.tedlassopod.com. And then if you just search in whatever your podcast app is, um, Richmond till we die, you can find us. We have a, a logo that looks like a soccer crest with mm-hmm. a greyhound on it. You can find us at um, Ted Lasso Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and I am at um, Dash the Tweeter on Twitter as well. So there you can find some of my other projects and stuff that I write Fantastic. and whatever I'm ranting about that day. And your co-hosts? Marissa is not online, um, <laughs> so you'll just have to tune into the podcast yeah, yeah, to listen to her. Yeah. And um, you can find Brett, and I actually don't remember what his Twitter handle is right now. But okay. Maybe he doesn't Cowling. want us to tell and people. Maybe, I, we probably should have checked, huh? Yeah, we probably should have <laughs> asked him about that. So you can find him if you want to, and he he's a nice guy, so he'll say hi. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Alexander, once again, we've come to the end of an episode um, we know where we can find uh, Richmond Till We Die. Can you let the people know where they can find us? Well, they can find you on Twitter at the Corked Matt. I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore Rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And If you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.